You're listening to a Los Angeles Sports Nation production, enhancing your Los Angeles sports fan experience. All right, so welcome back to the Mob Squad Pod. This is episode six, a whopping six episodes. Um, this is actually a pretty special one. Um, we're doing a crossover episode. We're actually going to be working with Matt Loopy. Did I say, say your last name right? I should have asked yeah. you before we even started recording. It's Loopy? Yep, correct. Okay, awesome. So we're actually doing a crossover episode with Matt Loopy from Philadelphia Sports Nation. He's the host of Birds Banter Podcast, and he covers the Philadelphia Eagles. So he's actually going to be joining us today, and we're going to be going over the NFC East. We're going to be doing some storylines, talking a little bit about the draft. Um, and we're very grateful and excited to have Matt with us. Uh, Matt, go ahead and introduce yourself a little bit. Tell us where we can find you on Twitter and all that good stuff. All right. Thank you. Um, so happy to be here with you guys today. My name is Matt Loopy. Like he said, um, I'm on Twitter, Matt underscore Loopy. Um, I'm the host of the Birds Banter podcast. I've been doing a podcast for about a year and a half now, just talking about Eagles, um, doing game coverages, everything in between. I've um, got some guest speakers on recently. So um, looking forward to talking to you guys today about the NFC East. Um, big football fan, big Eagles fan. So It'll be fun, and uh, thanks for having me on again. Yeah, for sure. That sounds awesome that you've been doing this for a little over a, a year and a half now. We obviously are just on episode six, so this is all still pretty new to us. Um, so I'm trying to do the math in my head. So did you start your podcast right after the Super Bowl win or just before? It was um, the start of the 2018 season, so after the summer following the Super Bowl. Okay. Well, I mean, if you're going to start a podcast for a team, that's, uh, I mean, what other better time would you yeah, than right exactly. after the Super Bowl? That's awesome. Okay. Well then, um, we'll go ahead and we'll get started. So, uh, what we're going to do is we're going to cover the Redskins. We're going to cover the Eagles. We're going to cover the Cowboys. We're going to cover the Giants. Um, we'll go ahead and go in that order. Um, Manny's going to cover the Eagles for us. Uh, Aaron is going to cover the Cowboys or as the, oh. in our, as our, yeah. So our text oh. chat, they, no one even had the, um, I, I don't know what you want to call it. The guts to call them the Cowboys. They just <laughs> were referred to as the cowgirls uh, multiple times in the group chat. Um, so that we'll try and give them a little bit of respect here. Um, and then I will cover the Redskins and the Giants. And like I said earlier, Matt is going to be our subject matter expert. I'm sure he knows these teams all very well. Um, so we'll go ahead and get started with the Redskins. Um, my first note that I'm going to go over here is I'm sure most Redskins fans would probably love to see a change in ownership. I think any conversation with the Redskins probably has to start with ownership. Uh, Dan Snyder has been the owner of the team since 1999. And in that span, the team has had six winning seasons and two total playoff wins. So that's about 20 years there. Factor in 20 years, six winning seasons and two total playoff wins. Not a whole lot of success there. I think objectively we would all agree that's pretty bad. Um, the 2019 season obviously was not good. Um, it hasn't been good for a while. Uh, after the end of the season, the team president, Bruce Allen, was fired. The team finished with a three and thirteen record. Uh, the head coach at the beginning of the season was Jay Gruden, but he started off zero and five, and the team finally decided that they had seen enough. So they fired him, and Bill Callahan came in on an interim basis and went three and eight. 
the team's offense finished last in the league, 16.6 points per game, and their defense finished 27th out of 32, allowing 27.2 points per game. Uh, so obviously the team can't really go down any more than they already have. They can only go up from here. Um, one other note I'm going to throw in here real quick before I throw it to Matt. Uh, there is a little bit of a Rams connection here. The offensive coordinator for the team was Kevin O'Connell. And if the name sounds vaguely familiar, it's because Kevin O'Connell is now on the Rams staff. So it's kind of good, I guess, and kind of bad because he has a little bit of familiarity with Sean McVay. So that's good. But for a guy coming from the offense that was, you know, dead last in the league in points per game, that's a little concerning, I would say. Um, so, Matt, where do you see the Redskins kind of going forward? Do you think that they're kind of going to stay where they are? Do you think that they might be on the rise now? How do you see them? Yeah, so I don't have too many expectations for them just because, like you said, you're they're getting a new head coach in Ron Rivera. Um, a lot of times... It, you don't see an instant impact from rookie head coaches. I mean, Ron Rivera is not a rookie, but it's his first year with the Redskins. Um, but transition and coaching takes a while. I would say two to three seasons is when it's going to kick in and he's going to get his players and his ideas um, into the system effectively. But also, uh, just to note, I mean, the, the Redskins are promising. Their defense, especially their defensive line, is very promising. You add Chase Young to an already talented group. So I think they have the pieces there. One thing that was really interesting to me this offseason was all the rumors that Dwayne Haskins might not be the quarterback of the future, that they were doing some homework on um, rookie quarterbacks in this draft class, and they weren't fully committed to him. I wasn't really buying into it, and they didn't take a quarterback in the draft, so it kind of um, showed that they're committed to Haskins at quarterback. But I think just developing him as a passer, I really like him as a quarterback, obviously, I'm not going to say too many great things about him because I'm an Eagles fan, but um, I think he's a talented uh, player and they need to make sure that they get the pieces around him. They started off well with Terry McLaurin last year. Now now they got a couple more weapons in this draft class, but making sure that they have their foundation, they have the quarterback, they have the defensive line and start building outwards, Um, improve that offensive line, improve the secondary. And I think they can be good, but it's going to take a couple years to get there. Okay, I like that. You actually hit on a couple of points that I was going to bring up myself and ask you about specifically, um, and one of those being Dwayne Haskins. I was going to ask you specifically, do you think Dwayne Haskins is the guy? Obviously, he was drafted in the first round, 15th overall, uh, out of the Ohio State University, which if I probably don't say it that way, Manny would probably send me a nasty <laughs> text or something. Um so Haskins so far has played in nine games and he's got a two and five record. Uh, he threw for a little over 1300 yards, seven touchdowns, seven interceptions. He did lose six fumbles and his completion percentage was a little rough. It was at 58.6%. Um, right now, the only other backup that I saw is Kyle Allen, who also is coming over from Carolina. So I guess, If you're Ron Rivera, you would assume there's some familiarity there and he probably trusts Kyle Allen. Um, Based on what you're saying, it sounds like you do have a little bit of reason to believe that Dwayne Haskins could be the future there. Yeah, yeah, I definitely think he is just because, I mean, when you invest a first round pick into a quarterback, it's hard to give up that early. I know you want to try to find that guy quickly and commit to somebody, but you got to give him time. Um, Dwayne Haskins didn't even play the full season. Case Keenum started out with the Redskins, did okay, and then Dwayne Haskins came in. Um, Haskins was just inconsistent. 
the later half of the season when they played the Eagles uh, week 16, I believe it was Haskins looked like he was the future hall of famer. Uh, the Eagles secondary was definitely banged up and it was easy to slash them in the air, but um, he was looking really good. And then he started getting exposed later in the game when the defensive line was creating more pressure. Um, however, he has all the traits there that you want in a, in a franchise quarterback. He's not showing it on the field yet consistently, but they just need to make sure that they get him weapons. When you look at the Redskins um, wide receivers group, I mean, their leading running back is between Adrian Peterson and Darius Geis. Adrian Peterson is getting old and Darius Geis has an injury history. You need to make sure that you bring talent around him. I mean, yes, there are some quarterbacks in the league that can work with um, players that aren't technically pro bowlers, but Dwayne Haskins isn't at that level yet. So if you want to see the the best uh, play out of him, you got to build the offense around him. I think that would be the best thing for them to do rather than trying to have a competition between him and Kyle Allen or bring in another free agent or a draft pick next year, whatever it may be. Um, I think just commit to him to him for a full year and see what he brings. Yeah, it kind of worries me because I felt like last season it was a little up and down with him. And I don't know with Ron Rivera coming in if he's going to be fully committed or not just because he does have Kyle Allen available and he knows what he's capable of because Kyle Allen showed some flashes in Carolina Mm -hmm. where he was decent. And some people actually went as far as to say that if Cam Newton was healthy, he wasn't even going to get the job back because Kyle Allen was so good. (laughs) I think by the end of the year, we would all agree that that wasn't the case. Um, So it'll be interesting to see if Ron Rivera does do a situation like we saw last season with the Giants where it was Eli Manning's team, then it was Daniel Jones's team, then he got hurt, then Eli kind of came back for a couple games. So it'll be interesting to see if they kind of, if that situation happens with the Redskins, because I feel like if you bench Haskins too many times, you might just lose him, whether that's his confidence would be shot or he might just lose uh, interest in just trying practice and everything else. He might just feel like, you know what, this isn't the team for me. I need to move on. So it'll be interesting to see if Ron Rivera actually just gives him the reins and says, Hey, this is, here's the keys. You're driving the car, get us there. Um, I I feel like, and based on what you're saying and from what I saw, at least um, looking at some numbers, I feel like he at least needs a shot. I feel like he at least deserves uh, to start every game unless there's an injury or something. Yeah, I totally yeah, agree. I mean, he, sorry. I mean, um, yeah, I just jump in real quick. Um, like I said, he was a really good prospect coming out of Ohio state. I mean, he was a proven winner. Um, he has the ability to throw it deep, but also put his, uh, put the hand in, tuck the ball and, uh, run for a couple yards. So, I think he's a he's a good prospect. He needs development, but um, hopefully Ron Rivera can develop him a little bit better. Yeah, and I think Ron Rivera is definitely an upgrade over Jay Gruden. And I don't think that I'm not trying to make it sound like I think Jay Gruden's a bad coach, but I feel like from what we've seen with Ron Rivera in the past, I I certainly would trust him to lead my team or any other team in the NFL. So uh, the other point that I was going to bring up that you touched on was Chase Young. Obviously, he just got drafted second overall in the draft last week. And according to most people that I heard and that I read, he was the overall best prospect in this draft. Um, So a little bit about Chase. Again, coming out of Ohio State, he actually is a hometown kid. He's coming out of Heightsville, Maryland. So he's kind of playing for his hometown team. Um, He's a junior coming out. 
264 pounds, 33 and three quarter inch arms, 10 inch hands. Um, he actually led the nation, 16 and a half sacks, six forced fumbles and 12 starts, uh, which tied for fourth in FBS. Uh, also had 21 tackles for loss. Uh, he appears to be an, a blue chip prospect. He appears to be one of these guys that's like a can't miss. Uh, what are your readings on Chase Young? Yeah, I think it's an A-plus pick. You can't really go wrong with Chase Young. The Redskins' defensive line going into the draft was pretty strong. They have some good pieces there. They've invested a um, good amount of money and high draft picks in there previously. But, I mean, even if it's a strong uh, group on the team so far, you can't skip on Chase Young unless another team wanted to trade up to number two and go get Chase, and uh, you can trade out and get a future first-round pick or something like that then I would consider it. But if you're sitting at two and you're comfortable with that, you have to get uh, the, this defensive end. I mean, he's a he's a beast. When you watch him at Ohio State, he has the ability to change an entire game on his own. Um, he's pulling double coverages, triple coverages, um, trying to shift an entire offensive line to his side. It opens up so much for other players. I think in the NFL, he's definitely going to pull some double coverages and they're going to try to pull a guard to the left side and make sure that Chase Young is accounted for, which is going to open up for the rest of the line. But when you saw him in college, he was putting two people in the ground. I mean, he can he can handle anything. Obviously, the competition at, in the NFL is going to be a little bit stronger. But, um, man, especially when Ohio State played Penn State last year, he won that game on his own. There's 11 players on defense, but Chase Young, it's like having three extra guys on the defensive line. It's a great pick. That's pretty awesome. And I've, I've said multiple times on this podcast, I'm not a huge college football guy, so I always defer to Manny. And it sounds like you also watch a lot of college football. So it sounds like from everyone who watches the college game consistently has said that he's a phenomenal talent. Um, I didn't watch a lot of NFC East games and uh, in particular last year, especially Redskins games. But the pairing of him and Montez Sweat has got some Redskins fans pretty excited. From what you've seen, do you think Montez Sweat is going to be able to be better now? Do you think Montez Sweat is going to be a, a good prospect going forward? Yeah, Montez Sweat was somebody that I was interested in um, for the Eagles last year in the draft. And he fell a little bit just because, if you guys remember, he had like a little bit of a heart condition. Some teams were a little bit weary of it. He was medically cleared, but... Still fell in the first round. The Redskins picked him up. I thought that was a really good pick by them because he's a really talented player. Um, didn't have a phenomenal year in year one, but like most pass rushers, obviously besides a guy like Chase Young, you got to get a little bit quicker, a little bit better technique, bulk up a little bit once you get to the next level in the NFL. Uh, Montez Sweat, he has the speed to him. He's a nice, um, powerful, fast pass rusher. And I think him and Chase Young are going to be the future at those at those ends for Washington and they're going to probably be the best in the east in a couple of years because looking at the other teams defensive ends doesn't stack up to Young and Sweat um so I think them together are going to be really good but you got a couple other players that are good there Ryan Kerrigan still kicking he's still doing well um Deron Payne I mean they're loaded on the on the defensive line I wouldn't be shocked if they are top 10 top five in sacks next year 
that would be pretty incredible. Uh, I don't want to dominate this whole conversation. Manny, I know you know a lot about the Redskins, I'm sure, because, like you said, you're also a big Eagles fan as well as being a Rams fan. So I think you had a question. Yeah, hey, Matt, um, thank you again for for uh, joining us. So we've seen what the Redskins have been almost basically, you can probably say, for the last you know 10 years or so. What would you say will be a successful first year for the Washington Redskins in wins? Um, we know that it's it, you know, like we know that when their fan base is you know they're very loud, they're very prideful, but obviously they haven't been you know very happy for the last you know it seems like forever. Um, I don't think they've made the playoffs. I believe since the early two thousands or whatnot, um, since Sean Taylor RIP was on the team. Um, so, what do you think record wise will be a successful Washington Redskins season? Yeah, it's a good question, Manny. Like I said before, it's it's tough to have very high expectations for a team with a first-year head coach or someone that's coming in uh, to the team for their first time. So having that situation with Ron Rivera coming to the Redskins, I don't think that they're going to do very well. I think they will make some improvements. If they get a six-win season, I think that will be a success. Obviously, it doesn't look great on paper, but at least they're improving. At least they're trending in the right direction. Um, I don't think they're going to come out of nowhere and make the playoffs by any means or be over 500. I think that was a little bit too much of a stretch, but they have the, the pieces to be a, a better football team. Um, Dwayne Haskins, I think he just needs a little bit more development and some more weapons. I mean, the offense isn't developed enough for them to break that six, seven win uh, threshold right there. Is Haskins the right guy or the right fit, you think, inside that Ron Rivera offense? You know, because obviously, you know, we saw what he did with Carolina and obviously Cam Newton, you know, is a big name, is a huge star. Um, You know, he's coming off a national championship. Obviously, Haskins is just coming off a Rose Bowl win, you know, obviously also being from the Washington area. Do you think this is Haskins' job to, you know, like it's his job to lose? Yeah, I think he he definitely is the guy. Um, I would like to see him develop a little bit, but I think he's going to be blamed a lot. I mean, going into the season, their number one option at wide receiver is Terry McLaurin. And although he's good, it's not like he has a dominant receiver like Michael Thomas or uh, DeAndre Hopkins. So a lot of pressure is going to be on Dwayne Haskins. So he's going to catch a lot of criticism because of that. However, once you get more weapons around him, I think next offseason is going to be big for them. If Dwayne Haskins shows any type of um, promise again, this 2020 season, because then next offseason, if you know this is 100% our guy, then you can go and spend in free agency. You can invest heavily in the draft and go get more weapons for him. Um, I think he's a little bit on thin ice just because it's a new head coach. You got to make sure he fits the system, but he's definitely a better option than Kyle Allen right now, in my opinion. And just to wrap up on wins for the Redskins, uh, I think the consensus here is they're probably not going to be great next year, but it would be pretty hard to be as bad as they were last year. So I think if they can even get to the five-win plateau, that would be a huge improvement. Like I said earlier, they had three total wins all last season. Those three wins came against the Dolphins, who were in full tank for Tua mode, and they finished the year with five total wins. The Panthers, who finished with five wins, and the Lions, who finished with three wins. So the teams they did beat weren't exactly great talent, uh, good teams by any means. 
uh, and they were swept by all of their divisional opponents, which is always a bad look. Um, that being said, we'll leave the Redskins. We'll go on to a little bit better of a team with higher prospects. Uh, we'll go on to the Eagles. So Manny, you're kind of our resident Eagles expert. And now that we have Matt with us, we've got two Eagles experts. So I'm going to let you guys tell us what's the state of the Eagles. All right, Nick. Thanks. Uh, Matt fly Eagles fly, but uh, it didn't seem, yes, it, it definitely did not seem uh, that way last week as we both saw that the Eagles went in round two and picked up another quarterback. Now, let me just point this scenario out there. It's been a week and a day. Um, actually, no, it's actually been a week because he got selected in round two, which was Friday. Uh, which we're talking about, uh, Mr. Hertz over here. Um, have you yet thought about which way, which angle, maybe Howie Roseman and the team is trying to go? I mean, because when you kind of look at the whole scenario, how the season ended, you had Carson Wentz carried the team on his back. He finished the year with 63.9% completion, uh, over 4,000 yards, 27 touchdowns, and only seven picks, and yet he had no wide receivers to throw to. Um, basically, the offense was Carson Wentz and Miles Sanders. Um, after, you know, a week or so and you analyzing it and stuff, why do you think the Eagles went that route, especially in round two, knowing that, you know what, they still need to get some offensive weapons for Carson and the defense that no offense just lost their leader in Malcolm Jenkins. Yeah. So I think it's been clear that the Eagles want to prioritize backup quarterback ever since, um, Nick Foles led the Eagles to the Super Bowl. They've been so fixated on having this. Um, good backup quarterback to back up their franchise quarterback. So I have no problem with that. If that's how they want to run things, so be it. But I would rather them do it the right way. And this is my mindset, and it's really starting to kick in and have me come around on this pick. Um, when it was first announced, I really didn't like it. I didn't understand it. But the more that I think about it, it kind of makes sense. And um, my understanding is, so if you want to invest in backup quarterbacks almost every single year, last year they took um, – Clayton Thorson in the fifth round and Clayton Thorson didn't even make the 53 men roster. He ended up on the Cowboys practice squad in preseason. He was atrocious and he said he was too nervous to play. I mean, you can't have your backup quarterback be too nervous to play. So at the time I was thinking, okay, let's just try to pick up guys in the fifth, sixth, seventh round every year. Um, Nate Sudfeld won't be here forever. So try to figure it out, plug and play because Carson Wentz is the guy. Um, so on and so forth, we can make it work. Mm -hmm. However, I would rather them do it right. Jalen Hurts is going to step in. He's going to be on a four-year rookie deal, um, very cheap. He's It's four-year, $8 million. Um, So Jalen Hurts is obviously going to be a lot better than Nate Sudfeld, in my opinion. He's going to be better than Clayton Thorson. He's going to be better than waiting till the seventh round in this past draft and getting um, someone that just doesn't fit this, the system well. I'd rather Howie Roseman go and attack someone that he knows can plug into the offense and not have to change anything. I think Jalen Hurts will bring that to the table, but also he can make an instant impact year one. And uh, one last note I want to make on it, it would be ignorant for the Eagles to ignore Carson Wentz's injury history. I'm not one to say that he's injury prone, but uh, when you look at his past three season, ACL, uh, back injury, and then concussion in the playoffs, the Eagles made the playoffs three years in a row, but Carson Wentz wasn't able to play in or finish any of those three games. He played in uh, the first drive of the Seahawks game last year, but got knocked out with a, con with a concussion. So if you want to make it to the big stage, you got to have a quarterback that'll make it there for you. Um, so if Carson Wentz is going to have these injury problems, 
I want some insurance behind him. I think Jalen Hurts will provide that. Damn, man, I, I think you might have convinced me as in as a, a diehard Eagles fan over here. Um, man, no, no, like I said, great, great points there. Um, you know, and it's nothing against Hurts. I mean, listen, we watched this man get benched in a national championship game in which Tua came in and won it. And then the very next year, they needed um, Hurts to come off the bench in the semifinals to get Bama back in the, in, you know, back in the title game. Um, I've always loved his competitiveness. I've loved his leadership. Um, I, that to me has never been the question. But, you know, when you pick up backup, you know, because in, in all honesty, he's going to be the backup to Carson Wentz. Um, but when you put it all together without having Foles, listen, Foles in Eagles' minds and hearts will always be the man. Let's be honest here. The man went mm. out there and did such an unbelievable playoff run, you know, um, especially winning Super Bowl MVP, the Eagles' first title, you know, you know, first ever Super Bowl championship since they, you know, since they were born in 1933. It's something so historical that will never leave Eagles' minds and hearts whatsoever. But still, when you drop the quarterback this high and you realize that you just paid and you committed yourself to Carson Wentz the offseason before, you got to be able to question it and say, well, Howie, you want to come out to tell us that we're trying to be the quarterback factory of the league, but yet you paid already Carson Wentz and you guaranteed him so many, you know, so much money the offseason before. So what would you say to Eagles fans to kind of, you know, calm them just a little bit knowing that, listen, Wentz is going to carry a huge contract, but that's what you got to do sometimes when you go out there and you pick a guy second overall, right? I mean, you know, how do you fit that in knowing that also you have another guy on a rookie deal that if he plays well, you might have to pay him, you know, three, four years down the line. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Carson Wentz, yeah, he did get paid, but his overall contract, once a quarterback like Patrick, Mah- Mah- uh, Patrick Mahomes gets paid, Carson Wentz is going to look cheap compared to that. So I think paying Wentz the timeline that they did was very important. So now it's going to look better in the future. So the finances will work out. Um, like I said, Jalen Hurts is going to be a cheaper option. And Eagles fans can't make Howie Roseman and Jeffrey Lurie and Doug Peterson think differently about backup quarterbacks. If they're going to go out and get a backup quarterback and they want to get good ones, it is what it is. We can't do anything about it. So I think just saying to Eagles fans, um, if you want to look at the free agent market and get a guy like Cam Newton, I think he's going to be a little bit more expensive than $2 million a year. Jameis Winston was another option. He signed for next to nothing with the Saints, but you still run that risk. If you want to go to the free agent market and um, get an experienced, proven NFL player that's going to back up Carson Wentz, that probably wants to start, um, probably wants a little bit more money, then you're going to create a lot more competition. It's going to be a lot harder for the team to handle financially. So I think, yeah, second round pick is a little extreme for a backup quarterback. However, Jalen Hurts is going to be cheaper than a lot of other players out there, um, especially in the free agent market. I mentioned Cam Newton. He's not going to come in for $2 million a year. Um, But also down the road, I mean, if Jalen Hurts can step in for eight snaps a game in, in 2020, run the ball, throw the ball and be a weapon, people are going to say, okay, I'm fine with it as a second round pick. Then next year they can focus on something else. They won't have to put backup quarterback on their draft radar. Hey, Matt. And sorry, man, I want to jump in here real quick. Hopefully I'm not stealing any of your thunder. Uh, Can you picture Jalen Hurts being kind of this, uh, this Taysom Hill kind of guy for the saints? You know, he steps in uh, a few times a game, 
He's kind of that brute force runner, uh, but could pass the ball down the field too. I mean, can you picture the uh, the Philadelphia Eagles utilizing Jalen Hurts as like uh, as the Saints utilized Taysom Hill? Yeah, I definitely can. I think it'll probably be more comparable to Lamar Jackson his rookie year. I think um, Taysom Hill is probably a little bit more physical than Jalen Hurts is. They both run the football well, um, but Taysom Hill is he's a little bit bigger than Hurts um, height wise and everything, and he's just not scared of contact at all. Uh, if you watch him, yeah. it's just amazing how he doesn't get hurt um, ever. But Taysom Hill, I think um, when when I'm watching a game and the, the Saints put him on the field and he drops back to throw a ball, I'm not very confident. I, if I was an NFL defense, I would look at that and, yeah, you got to cover it, but you don't really take it seriously. It's a huge drop-off from Drew Brees. However, Jalen Hurts, I mean, he just came off a, um, what, 3,500 passing season with Oklahoma he can throw the ball really well. So I think he can line up as running back. He can line up as quarterback. He can line up as wide receiver even. Um, he's such a weapon to have. Um, he's definitely going to be utilized like a Taysom Hill, like a Lamar Jackson his rookie year, and line up all different places, be a weapon, um, not just a quarterback. So yeah, I think they're going to try to mold that. I think possibly even in the future, the NFL might try to mold into that um, just weapon role, athlete. Um, I don't know what to qualify them as like Taysom Hill. You don't see him as just a quarterback Jalen hurts. You won't see him as just a quarterback. So it's going to be interesting how that develops fit in at multiple positions. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, That's what I was thinking. Every time someone brings up uh, Taysom Hill in football, I always think of baseball. I always think of the super utility guy that has become the new kind of in vogue position uh the guy that can play every single position and play it relatively well and it i we know the nfl is a copycat league so everyone's gonna look now and say well if Taysom hill can do all these things well you know what can we do with maybe some of our other guys so you know maybe howie roseman and doug peterson are onto something here and maybe they're trying to stay ahead of the curve yeah i think that's definitely um what may happen because they you know, started the backup quarterback trend when Nick Foles won the Super Bowl. Everybody counted them out, and then all of a sudden, Nick Foles goes from being, yeah, people knew him, but they didn't really respect him that much on the field as a player. I mean, his skill level, um, I, I feel like the Patriots definitely undervalued him when they went into the Super Bowl game. And then he went, blew it up, had one of the greatest quarterback performances that we've ever seen, end up winning and beating one of the biggest dynasties that we've ever seen in the Patriots. So, um, a lot of people are valuing the backup position a lot more because of that. You're seeing more draft picks towards quarterbacks. You're, you're seeing more money towards backup quarterbacks in the league. So um, not only just the evolution of the backup role, but also having that, like you said, Nick, that utility guy that can do a lot because once you have to dress just 46 players on game day, having a guy like Jalen Hurts, Taysom Hill, whoever it may be, it's like adding a couple more guys. It's like having 47 or maybe even 48 because you can – line them up almost anywhere on your offense. Great, 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 great analysis, my friend. Uh, Matt, real quick, so my last question for you, talking about the Eagles here. So let's switch it over to the defense. Um, I grew up in the 90s. I grew up with um, um, seeing a a style of defense like no other, whether Hugh Douglas, Ryan Dawkins, Troy Vincent, Bobby Taylor, you know, all those guys there. And to me, um, that side of the ball, yes, you can score as many points as you want. And in today's league, you know, it is a pass-friendly league. 
But to me, if your defense can't create those one or two turnovers or those one or two stops during the game, that might give you a shot to win. Now, looking at it as the Eagles draft last week, I'm going to read you the names. You probably have, you know, have scouted them and stuff. But tell me if you feel confident heading into a, into a Jim Schwartz type of defense in which we know it's basically a lot of nickels, a lot of dime packages. You're moving a cornerback in Jalen Mills from the cornerback position to the safety. And like I you know, said earlier, you lost your main leader to me, which was, uh, you know, Malcolm Jenkins. And to see what the Saints paid him and to know that we could have done that just a little bit or whatnot, that's the part that kind of got me to question it. And maybe it wasn't a contract. Maybe they just wanted to move on. But I'm going to name you the, the, the defensive players that the Eagles picked um, last week. Um, you got the linebacker from Colorado. Uh, you got the safety from Clemson, uh, Akevon Wallace. You got Taylor there. Uh, you got Sean Bradley. And you got Kaysen Tuhill. Now, in your eyes, when you read those names, and Davion Taylor, Kevon Wallace, and Sean Bradley, Kaysen Tuhill, do those names to you fix an Eagles defense that last, you know, last year, you know, at times where they gave up 30-plus points to the Miami Dolphins, a game that I went to that I didn't even think was possible. But you saw them torch us in the air time in and time again, and we missed so many tackles. Not to mention that you lose one of your prime linebackers in the middle um, to free agency that you didn't re-sign. Did the Eagles fix their defense for the year 2020? Yeah, I think something that's being um, overseen now that the draft is over is basically almost a forgotten draft pick. Um, the Eagles flipped a third and fifth round pick for Darius Slay, who's, in my opinion, definitely a top 10 corner in the, in the league. So I think that definitely fixes a huge hole in the secondary because the Eagles have been trying to find their solution at cornerback. Uh, they've had just a mess of guys that they're plugging in, trying to find who will fit the best. Um, Jalen Mills was the best option last season. Then he goes to safety. So they had two big holes after Mills goes to safety and then Ronald Darby goes to the Redskins. They need to fill in. So Darius Slay was definitely the home run hit there. Um, going off the guys that they drafted, Sean Bradley and Casey Tuhill, I mean, they're going to be fighting for dra- or, uh, roster spots. Let's just be real. I mean, Eagles drafted a lot of they drafted two linebackers Casey Tuhill I think he would probably be more a defensive end with the Eagles but Davion Taylor is a better prospect than Sean Bradley so Bradley's gonna have to really step up to try to make the roster um, Casey Tuhill I mean he's a seventh round pick I mean I'm gonna be rooting for him but the odds are stacked against him especially in a draft that the Eagles come away with um, what was it 10 players so unlikely um, but the first two guys you mentioned Davion Taylor in round three and then Kayvon Wallace mm-hmm. in round four. These are actually guys that I've, I was watching a lot pre-draft process. I was like, these are guys that the Eagles need to go get. So I was really happy that the Eagles got them. Um, mm-hmm. I would have flipped the rounds. I thought Kayvon Wallace was a third round pick and Davion Taylor was in the fourth, but you know what? It worked mm-hmm. out. Davion Taylor and Kayvon Wallace are both guys you can put in many different positions. Davion Taylor, um, he's good at, he can, defend in the slot he's good in the box as a traditional linebacker he's very fast very instinctive Kayvon Wallace you can put him all over the field he's got the range of a free safety but he's also good in the box just like Malcolm Jenkins was I'm not going to say he's comparable to Jenkins because that's just no. uh <laughs> yeah. big shoes to fill but um I mean Wallace he's he's a great player great tackler I love, I, yeah 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 no just to go off Wallace and Obviously, I'm from the Southeast, so I see a lot of ACC ball. He was always one player, though, that I thought never got a lot of talk. Um, of course, when you talk about Clemson's defense, you're talking about the front four, and you're, ma- you're mainly talking about 
their offense as well. But he really impressed me because he can play in the box. He can cover, you know, out wide spots. He can play deep. Um, so, you know what? I, I, I guess I see where he fits. And, you know, and then as far as when it comes to Davion Taylor, you know, he's a guy that I've seen on tape that can run sideline to sideline. And if you're mm-hmm. going to always play nickel for more than half the time on defense during games, you know, you're going to need a guy like that, you know, that can make tackles behind the line of scrimmage and that can create, um, you know, those, you know, those wide area tackles in which then comes in your safeties and that, yeah, you know, your front four can create pressure without blitzing or anything like that. One more final question, Matt. I'm sorry, Nick, I lied. One more real quick. You saw what Malcolm Jenkins brought to this team the last couple of seasons. To me, the Eagles don't make the Super Bowl without the leadership that he brought. Who fills in those shoes um, next season for the Philadelphia Eagles? Yeah, so right now at safety, they they have uh, Rodney McLeod, who's probably going to step up as the leader of the, the secondary because he's the oldest player. Um, Darius Slay is someone that has a lot of experience in the NFL. He's obviously new to the Eagles, but he can step up as a leader. But someone that Malcolm Jenkins mentioned as kind of his uh, his heir to the throne is Jalen Mills. He says he's a great leader. Um, he really likes his style of play. So I think Mills, although he's a little bit younger and uh, just came off his rookie deal and signed a one-year deal, I think he's not going to be the sole leader of the defense. I think he might step up into a bigger role, um, not just on the field, but in the locker room. I mean, Malcolm Jenkins, he did a lot for the team. He did a lot for the community. But also when he's when he's playing, you, I mean, he just diagnoses plays before it even happens. He's so smart. You can't really replicate that with anybody else. Um, so hopefully they can patch that hole elsewhere. But um, I remember one reporter asked Jim Schwartz what they would do if Malcolm Jenkins got hurt once all these secondary players got hurt. And he's like, we'd have to change there, everything. <laughs> yeah, you can't, yeah, exactly. you can't plug in someone for that. Um, so I'm happy that Will Parks and Kayvon Wallace can kind of step into that versatile role like Jenkins held, but... Uh, it's going to be tough. It's going to take some transition to fill in for Jenkins. Awesome, Matt. Thank you. Good stuff, guys. Yeah. Um, clearly, we're going to need to see who we can talk to about getting Manny a Malcolm Jenkins jersey because he's <laughs> listen, a huge listen, Malcolm, Malcolm Jenkins, Jenkins. bobblehead with the Super Bowl trophy on it and all. That's why I'm so hurt, man, because you see all these highlights when you go back to the Super Bowl wins. And he's in he he's in all of them, and it's just it's hard. It's it's you know up to this day to know that number twenty seven is not going to be back there in the secondary or be at the line of scrimmage. To me, it's just wow. It just really really creates a really you know deep impact in me knowing that wow you know that guy's not there anymore. Well, this probably isn't what you want to hear, but you moved on from Brian Dawkins. You'll move on from Malcolm Jenkins. (laughs) (laughs) Very true, very true. It is what it is, unfortunately. The Rams have to move on from Todd Gurley. We'll see how that goes. Oh, wait, wait. Yeah, I'm so sorry. Again, I lied, Nick. Matt, real quick. You have a Rams (laughs) cornerback there, a guy that is so underrated, Plays has played very well for the Rams the last couple of years. Uh, Nicole Robbie Coleman, what type of fit do you think he does there, and what does he bring um, into this Eagles uh, defensive team that we know have you know has not had many you know talented cornerbacks at all for the last couple of seasons yeah i mean he's a pencil in for the slot corner i mean i think his twitter handle is even slot god i mean that's what he's known for so um the eagles have good nickel cornerbacks on their team but nickel ruby coleman he comes in he's an instant starter in my opinion he had, he's really good i know a lot of people remember him for the play against the saints uh, i know that'll probably get you guys fired up if 
Uh, we bring that up, but that um, whole non-call pass interference in the it was playoffs. was a good clean but... hit. I don't know what you guys. But um, anyway, <laughs> Roby Coleman, he he was a great underrated underrated signing uh, that the Eagles brought in. Looking forward to see what he's going to bring to the defense. Well, uh, we'll move on from the Eagles. And uh, Aaron, let's talk some Cowboys. Yes, let's do it. All right, Matt. Hey, thanks again for joining us, as uh, Manny and Nick have both mm-hmm. stated. But uh, yeah, I wanted to touch on the Dallas Cowboys and where they currently sit in the NFC East division. So I understand you're an Eagles fan. I'm not sure how much information or how much nine non-biased opinion you may have on some of your divisional competitors' off-season choices. But I figured I'd shoot you some uh, questions here and see what your thoughts are. All right, so I think... Uh, One of the biggest questions on a lot of Cowboys fans' minds are uh, Dak Prescott. So according to uh, Calvin Watkins of the Dallas Morning News, the Cowboys have offered Dak Prescott one of the largest contracts in NFL history. And per Jeff Diamond of Sporting News, he stated, Cowboys quarterback could be in Patrick Mahomes' neighborhood with new contract. All right, so last season, Dak Prescott actually had his most productive season. He had 4,902 passing yards with approximately 8.2 yards per attempt. He threw 30 touchdown passes against 11 interceptions and had a passer rating of 99.7, which ranked 10th in the league. My question to you is, do you think Dak Prescott is worth or deserves that kind of contract, something near what Patrick Mahomes might be receiving here in the near future? Uh, in other words, if you're the, the Cowboys general manager, uh, do you resign him or do you let him walk? No, I definitely don't think he's worth that kind of money. Um, that's the mark around $40 million a year is a huge stretch for a player like Dak Prescott. Um, but I know a lot of Eagles fans hate on Dak and uh, they, they don't think he's a good player, but one thing I like to say to Eagles fans is whether we like it or not, if the Eagles drafted Dak Prescott in the fourth round in 2017 instead of Wentz, and he had a really productive uh, first year and has been up and down, but brought the team to the playoffs, um, 4,000 yard passer, like you said, everybody would be pretty satisfied with that. And because franchise quarterbacks are so hard to find these elite quarterbacks, um, Dak Prescott is an elite in my mind, but these Top tier, uh, next to top tier quarterbacks are so hard to find in the league. You want to lock them in and you want to pay them. Um, I don't think it would be the smartest decision to pay him $40 million a year, but I would understand the logic behind it because if that's your guy, you got to lock him in. Um, The offense is going to revolve around the starting quarterback. And if they think that they found the future one in Dak Prescott, I wouldn't, you know, uh, judge them at all for doing that because next thing you know, Mahomes is going to reset the market. Um, you know, quarterback, every single position keeps resetting every single year. So once you get down the road, yeah, today it might look like Prescott's asking for a lot of money, but in five years when Joe Burrow, if he, he does well with the Bengals, when he cashes in, it's going to look like not that much. So, um, I, I think right now to this day, it's a little bit much, but, uh, looking at it from, an outsider i kind of understand it um from dax prescott uh dax mindset and uh trying to see 
here's my value to the team. And uh, you got to lock me in if you want my, my services to the team. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, you look at Ezekiel Elliott got a big deal. Um, and then you got Amari Cooper who just received, you know, a hundred plus million dollar deal five, uh, five years. So, you know, I feel like Dak Prescott could be relatively deserving of uh, receiving something around what those guys are, are getting. He's kind of the leader of the team. So, and, and I think it's perfect sense, you know, Patrick Mahomes is going to set the new, the new line there. And I feel like it's who's next in line, who's next in line, who's going to continue to kind of, uh, build this, you know, this, this contract, um, who's making the most, who's making the most, who's going to push it. Uh, so yeah, no, I think those are all good points. I, I appreciate you kind of sharing that input. Um, now, right now, uh, the Cowboys have Dak under the franchise tag. So, um, I mean, do you, do you kind of picture them figuring out a contract prior to this, uh, it's July 15th is the deadline for getting the franchise tag players reach for a long-term deal. Do you, do you see the Cowboys finding something uh, with Dak Prescott or do you see them doing this franchise tender uh, for the season, which could, you know, potentially tarnish his relationship with the Cowboys? Where do you see them? Like, what's your opinion? Where do you see them uh, coming this July 15th? Yeah, it seems like they're trying to work together um, because obviously both sides of the deal, yeah, it's a negotiation, but the team wants the quarterback or the player in a negotiation. They want them to stay around. The player wants the money. So they're trying to work it out in the best way possible. Dak's figures might be a little bit too high for the Cowboys liking right now, but um, I would imagine something to be completed throughout the summer um, just because, like I said, you want to make sure that you lock in your your franchise quarterback when you have the possibility to do so. You don't want to uh, make him too upset and risk him saying, all right, this is my last year with the Cowboys. Next year, I'm going to hit the free agent market. Whether you like it or not, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to try to find a better team if they're going to give me more money than you're willing to give me. So um, I would imagine this summer would be the time to get it done just because it would make um, sense for – uh, the finances, try to get it before Patrick Mahomes, um, but also make sure that he's happy and satisfied before the season starts. Great. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. Um, yeah. So I, now that we've got kind of this contract discussion uh, underway, I kind of want to jump into the draft here. So um, I mean, looking at the Cowboys, you got Zach Prescott, whether he's under a new contract or whether he's under the franchise tender, you got the Cowboys with a two-time pro bowler at quarterback. You have a three-time pro bowler at running back in Ezekiel Elliott, a four-time pro bowler wide receiver in Amari Cooper. You have one of the, one of the best offensive lines in the league, I would say, um, three of whom were selected to the Pro Bowl last season, Tyrone Smith, Zach Martin, and Travis Frederick. Uh, and not to forget, you have Michael Gallup at the other wide receiver position, who I think has breakout potential. He certainly had flashes of uh, of uh, potential uh, last season, throughout last season. So with the Cowboys' first-round draft pick, they selected another potential offensive juggernaut in wide receiver C.D. Lamb out of Oklahoma. Uh, in my eyes, this makes him one of the most potent offenses in the league. I mean, how do you feel about this pick? Do you do you see C.D. Lamb fitting into this already low? 
loaded Cowboys offense? Uh, do you see him making a potential immediate impact? Um, how do you kind of picture this pick? How do you like it? Yeah, it really surprised me because obviously the Eagles as a wide receiver needy team, when CD Lamb was falling down the board, Eagles fans were saying to themselves, this is a chance to trade up and go get him. Um, clear cut n- number one wide receiver for whatever team um, he would step into. Um, he's going to get Amari Cooper run for his money as that top receiver and top target for uh, Dak Prescott. I think it's a little bit interesting. They didn't necessarily need a wide receiver because they have Amari Cooper. They have Michael Gallup, two very capable players on the outside. Um, however, it fits in well because CeeDee Lamb had good amount of success at Oklahoma being a slot receiver. The Cowboys kind of struggled uh, finding their slot receiver. Randall Cobb just walked in free agency. They had Ryan Switzer a couple years ago. He didn't really find his role. He was off the team. Um, so I think he will probably start out in the slot with potential to move outside whenever he needs to. But lining up Gallup, Lamb, and Amari Cooper on the first play in week one, I mean, that's going to be scary um, to face. But what I'm most interested in seeing is how they're going to distribute snaps between um, passing sets and running the ball to Ezekiel Elliott because they still have a top three running back in the league and uh, you have probably the best trio of wide receivers in the league. So how are they going to mold that together? Mike McCarthy has a lot on his hands to try to make sure that he has the best uh, balance in his offense as possible. Absolutely. I definitely think they're, they're a big threat. Yeah. And I'm curious to see on if they use CD land there in the slot or if they maybe shift uh, Michael Gallup to the slot and have uh, CD land play wide there. Um, yeah, so they are for certain going to be a, a big threat. Now, I mean, do you, th- do you think the Cowboys could have found uh, value in selecting a different player with the first round pick, maybe somebody on the defensive end? Now, I know uh, Byron Jones left, um, so they're maybe in some need of cornerback. They ended up getting uh, Trevon Diggs out of Alabama, uh, but they also grabbed Reb- uh, Reggie Robinson, second out of uh, Tulsa. Um do you see them? Uh, do you, do you think they made the correct decision there? Do you think they may have? Uh, do you think they found the best value for what they really needed? I mean, like you, like we've discussed, they've they already have star offensive players. Um, maybe they needed somebody more uh, star wise on the defensive end. What are your thoughts there? Yeah, I think there were definitely bigger needs to be addressed than wide receiver. Wide receiver put pretty far down on their list of needs obviously they wanted to address it at some point however round one was a bit of a stretch especially after um your all pro state or all pro center and travis frederick just retired unexpe- unexpectedly before um this offseason got carried away and then um you, you lose byron jones in free agency to the dolphins your secondary hasn't been that great um i could have I could have, uh, you know, penciled them in for a defensive pick there. I, I totally imagine them taking either a corner, um, taking a safety like Xavier McKinney. I'm sure we're going to talk about him and the Giants a little bit later. And then um, a pass rusher like Caleb on Chason, who went to the Jaguars just a couple of picks after that. So the fact that they invested so much in the offense shows, in my opinion, that they're committed to Dak Prescott and they want to build the best offense around him. However, no matter how good their offense is, their defense needs still some work to do. Trayvon Diggs, um, he's decent, but he definitely wasn't the best cornerback 
um, out there in the draft. So that's why he fell to the second round. They snagged him trying to um, make up for, you know, not addressing defense in round one. But I think just it's a big drop off from Byron Jones. They haven't had um, a good safety back there for a long time. So they need to make sure that they're doing whatever they can. I mean, even if it's just trying to pick up um, extra guys that are still on the free agent market, like Prince of Mukamara, whatever it may be, to strengthen that defense because if they're going to score 30 points, it's going to be very easy for them to give up 30 points um, and lose a couple of football games just because their defense can't hang. Manny, you had a question. Go ahead and jump in. Yeah, Matt, um, this will be the only question I'll ask about this team in Texas. Um, they, You know, you see their owner, you know, he went out, he paid the running back. He goes out there, he pays the wide receiver, he pays the pass rusher. But why in the world would you wait to pay one of the most important positions in the game? Um, I understand where you have him at round four and he's still on his rookie deal and you're trying to save as much money. But doesn't Jerry Jones understand that you can't win in this game without a quarterback? Yeah, I think it's just timing and the age of the players because um, Ezekiel Elliott was selected. Uh, yeah, he was the same same year as Dak Prescott, correct? Yes, so, correct. Yeah, so yeah, mm-hmm. so that's a little that's a little um, questionable because running backs are definitely changing in the league right now. They're not as valued, so um, that would be the biggest um concern to me amari cooper and dak prescott it seemed like they were just in a battle this offseason trying to see who's going to get the deal done first amari cooper goes out gets five years 100 million um demarcus lawrence his big payday i think was expected last year just because he's one of the best out there to do it so i understand that especially because you want to build um like what the eagles do build in the trenches and make sure you invest a lot in those offense and defensive lines but, um, yeah, I mean, you, you hit it right on the head, Manny. You you kind of question why are they going out and paying these skill positions like a running back and like a wide receiver when they're not even um, ready to pay their quarterback, it seems like. Aaron, did you have anything else that you wanted to hit on? Uh, no, I, th- I think he answered all my questions that I had uh, primarily here. So, yeah, thank you. Okay, yeah, cool. Um, the only thing that I'm going to say about the Cowboys is um, I think they're the I – don't, I don't know how to phrase this exactly, but for whatever reason, they seem to always be the all-expectations team. Every single season, it seems like every pundit, every person on ESPN, NFL Network, doesn't matter, picks the Cowboys to either make it to the NFC title game or make it to the Super Bowl. Every single season and every single season, they never make it. Um, they have so much talent, but for some reason, I don't know if that was Jason Garrett all those years or whatever the case may be, but every single year, they always seem to screw it up somehow, some way, even with all that talent. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what Mike McCarthy can do because Cowboys fans have finally got their wish and um, Jason Garrett is gone. Um just a note on here that I saw that I wanted to use just to kind of emphasize my point. The Cowboys haven't made it to the NFC title game. And I believe the the total now is up to 25 seasons. Um, It's, it's been a long time. So they're actually joining. 
Yeah, they're joining some teams that they probably wouldn't like to be in company with. Uh, Buffalo Bills, Miami Dolphins, Cleveland Browns, Detroit Lions, Washington Redskins, and Cincinnati Bengals have had the longest drought since reading a conference, reaching a conference title game. So I don't know what the deal is with the Cowboys, but I guess we'll see uh, if Mike McCarthy's the answer there. Uh, so we'll go ahead and move on to the last team in the division, which is the New York football giants. I never have understood why people call them that. I mean, I get it, but I just, I think it's stupid. Um, but anyway, let me set the picture here before we jump into them. And I start hitting Matt with a bunch of questions. Uh, they finished last season with a four and 12 record. Their head coach was Pat Shermer. Uh, that's obviously not the case anymore. Uh, they finally came to the realization that he's not the guy. So he's been relieved, and Joe Judge is coming in to be the new head coach, who's another guy from the Bill Belichick tree. Uh, every season, it seems like someone from the Belichick tree uh, gets hired and gets a, a shot at being a head coach. Uh, so the team last season finished 18th in points per game with 21.3 and the defense finished 30th, allowing 28.2 points per game. Uh, this past season was the first time since 1995 none of the team's players made the Pro Bowl. That's pretty embarrassing when you have 53 players on a roster, and not one player, not your kicker, not your punter, your long snapper, nobody made the Pro Bowl from your roster. It's pretty embarrassing. Uh, the offseason, there was a lot of changes that the team was dealing with. Obviously, Odell Beckham... He's gone. Uh, Olivier Vernon, he was gone. And Landon Collins was gone. So the team was undergoing a lot of transition, a lot of changes. Uh, they used their draft pick to take Daniel Jones, which was pretty polarizing. I know me personally, I laughed hysterically when they made that pick. I thought it was absolutely hilarious. Um, but to his credit, so far he's shown that he looks to be capable so I'll give him credit where credit's due. He looks to be capable. I don't know if he was worthy of being a first-round pick and you know sixth overall, but he looks like he's going to be a capable starter. So after starting the season with two losses, the team made the decision to pull the trigger and bring Daniel Jones in. Uh, that game was actually pretty remarkable, and it was probably the highlight of Daniel Jones' career thus far. Uh, he actually came in, started against the... Buccaneers and let me make sure I get this right because I thought this was pretty crazy he threw for 336 yards two touchdowns and rushed for two touchdowns as well overcoming an 18 point halftime deficit uh, and that was without Saquon Barkley either because they lost him in the second quarter of that game so it was the Giants first win after being down 18 or more points at the half since 1949. And it was the second largest comeback in NFL history by a rookie quarterback making their first start. So after that game, Giants nation was pretty sold on Daniel Jones. They thought he was the guy and they were ready to crown him. That didn't really turn out that way. The end of the season, uh, he finished with a three and nine record, but he did throw for over 3000 yards, had 24 touchdowns, only 12 interceptions, and his completion percentage was respectable. It was at 61.9. Uh, the thing that really caught me off guard, though, when I was looking at some of these numbers was he had 18 fumbles, and I had to fact-check that multiple times because I thought that was a typo, but somehow he had 18 fumbles. I'm sure part of that was the horrible Giants offensive line, and part of it was probably Daniel Jones's fault, but 18 fumbles is pretty insane. Um 
all that being said, I think I've set the picture enough on how the Giants season went last year and kind of where they're heading. Um, so Matt, I'll ask you, do you think that the Giants going forward now with a new head coach, Daniel Jones is definitely the guy Eli Manning has officially retired. Do you think the Giants are in a better place than the Redskins as far as potential and maybe turning things around? Or do you think that they're still going to need several more years before they really do anything? Yeah, I think the Giants are going to be finishing above the Redskins. It's probably just going to be by a win or two. Um, but I think they're just set up better than the Redskins right now. The Redskins do have the the defensive line to boast over the Giants, but the Giants, Daniel Jones, I think he's just a better quarterback than Dwayne Haskins right now. He has a little bit more potential. Um, I'm, I'm with you, Nick. I laughed when they made the selection as well last year in the draft. Um, I did not... <laughs> Did not see that coming, and um, although we were hearing reports, I just did not think that was the best option. And Saquon Barkley, I mean, he he can run the offense right there. Him and Daniel Jones can run a pretty good offense together. They have good weapons in Evan Ingram and Darius Slayton, so um, I think they'll be fine. They're, they're, they obviously have a lot to work on, but they're getting um, a little bit help in the draft. They drafted Andrew Thomas and Xavier McKinney with their first two selections, so the offensive line will will improve a little bit. Hopefully, they'll finally find a replacement for Landon Collins, and um, I think they'll they'll do a little bit better than last season. However, it's they're not going to be competing with the Eagles or Cowboys by any means. Do you know anything about Joe Judge? Because I really don't know anything other than he's coming from the Belichick tree, and I believe he was their special teams coordinator or something like that, if I remember right. Do you know anything about him at all? Yeah, he did special teams and he was a wide receivers coach for, I think, eight years or so. So he was with them for a while, but he doesn't have a lot of uh, variety to his coaching. He was mostly with, like you said, special teams and with the wide receivers. So, um, yeah, he had success and the Patriots did well, but um, it's not like he was this top coaching prospect. I mean, I'm sure he will be okay, but um, I don't think he's anything to be scared of in the NFC East. Yeah, it's always interesting to me that most head coaches in the NFL seem to come from either offensive coordinator positions or defensive coordinator positions, and it seems like special teams coaches hardly ever get any kind of shine, uh, Mm -hmm. which I thought would kind of change after the Ravens won the Super Bowl because John Harbaugh was a special teams coach for a long time before he was given the chance to be a head coach. So I kind of thought after that, that that tide would kind of change, but it seems like for whatever reason, most uh, GMs and owners in the NFL don't really want to give special teams coaches uh, a chance to be a head coach. Um, So we'll see how it goes. Um, I guess me just being a dumb NFL fan, anyone that comes from the Belichick tree, I give them the benefit of the doubt. And I (laughs) assume that they're going to be good at what they do. Um, I think we've seen with varying degrees of success, some guys do really well and some guys do really bad. Um, I think for me, at least I'll ask for your opinion on this, Matt, but for me, I think the worst example was probably, um, Oh geez, I'm blanking on his name now, but it was the offensive coordinator who went to Denver and was their head coach for like a season and a half or two seasons. McDaniels fired McDaniels. Yeah, Josh McDaniels. Yep. Yeah, mm-hmm. Josh McDaniels. Yeah. Um, he that that went really bad and he really didn't recover from a 
head coaching standpoint because he hasn't got a shot since then. Um, and I think we've seen with that situation what can happen when guys try to show up and they try to be Bill Belichick instead of just being themselves. Uh, it doesn't usually work that well. Um, do you have an example that you've seen where the Belichick tree has actually worked and a coach has kind of left him and done good? Um, off the top of my head, I don't have a name, but like you said, that it didn't work. Matt Patricia stands, stands out to me. I mean, I think the Lions have nine combined wins over their past two seasons when Patricia was the coach. So um, that's another one from the Belichick coaching tree. And I think just the the style of coach that Belichick is, the way he prioritizes his team. I mean, he loves building from the outside in. He loves his uh, his linebackers and his cornerbacks on his on defense, and obviously he's committed to Tom Brady and getting him good weapons. But it's not like the Patriots always have great offensive and defensive lines. I mean, they just make it work. But um, right now you see a lot of coaches and GMs building from the inside out, building from – your quarterback and your your lines on both offense and defense and not prioritizing as much, you know, your cornerback, your running back and so forth. So I think just the different style, you got to be Belichick to make it work uh, because it's so unique. It's so different. It's not what the NFL is used to right now. So I think being so involved in that um, in that system than trying to go do it on your own it's a little bit different because you got to be the best at it. Like Belichick is to make it work. So it's tough. Um, I know Belichick's a great coach, but I don't think he has a great track record of producing good uh, coaches behind him. Yeah. It's really hard to find examples of times where it's actually worked. The only one that I can think of off the top of my head is Mike Vrabel. Mm-hmm. Um, and well, that's well, really about it. Yeah, guys, well, how about here maybe in Miami with Brian Flores? I do understand it's only been one season, but it seems like, you know, this team finally got their quarterback, not to mention that last season, yes, their win record wasn't that great, but you saw a total change in work ethic. You saw a team battling against teams with winning records. I mean, you know, sometimes you got to start from the very bottom and you got to be able to build like a structure. And, you know, who knows, maybe Brian Flores has that. Yeah, I certainly am not going to judge Brian Flores on one season, and especially his first season in Miami when it was obvious they can say whatever they want. It was obvious they were tanking. Um, So I certainly am not going to judge him based on that, and I'm not going to even judge him on this season coming up because they're still getting the players that they want. Uh, Next season, uh, maybe I'll start to judge him, but by all accounts from what I've heard from other players that have been in Miami under him, they seem to like him. They seem to, you know, respect the guys. So uh, it sounds like it's going to go well. Yeah, I think Flores has a a lot of experience coming from the Patriots. He worked a number of different roles with them. And um, I mean, like you guys said, he didn't really inherit a great roster with the uh, Dolphins this past season. They didn't finish the season well at all. It was just five wins. But I think next season, it's finally coming together. They spent a ton of money this offseason in free agency. They finally got their quarterback. Uh, they got a running back. So they're improving a lot, but it's going to take probably um, maybe a season, maybe even less to finally pull together and get all these different players from different backgrounds and make a good offense and defense out of it. And 
regarding the draft for the Giants, you had kind of hit on it. They took their with their first pick, which was the fourth overall, Andrew Thomas uh, out of Georgia. I am going to go ahead and assume that he's going to be a great offensive tackle for the next 10 years. I'm not a tackle expert. Um, but the one name that I did want to ask you about that you brought up was the safety, Xavier McKinney, that they took in the second round with the 36th pick, which I, like I said earlier, I'm not a huge college football guy, but I did know that name. And I thought that was a steal of a pick. And I know a lot of people had him graded as a first rounder. What'd you think of that pick for the Giants? Yeah, like like you said, that's a really good pick. Um, I had him as a first rounder. Like I said before, I thought that the Cowboys could have valued him um, at pick 17 over C.D. Lamb, but um, he ends up falling to, what, 30, uh, 36 in the draft Correct. and went, yeah, to the, went to the Giants. So um, he's a really good player. He has a lot of versatility like Landon Collins had with the Giants, and it's not like he's going to be an elite player at one trait. He's just above average at a lot of different things. So I think he's finally going to bring some stability to the secondary. And I think it's a really good pick. It's a good starting um, starting block to then bring in some better cornerbacks and a better safety beside him. Yeah. So this um, was one of the things that I saw in some of his scouting notes that kind of blew me away. Um, Cause when you see someone on, on tape or like a highlight reel, it doesn't always, I guess, or at least for me, it doesn't always translate. I'm usually a numbers-based person. I kind of have to combine the two. So I read this, and I thought this was pretty incredible. McKinney was 19th on the Pro Football Forecast big board, um, and there have been only five safeties to play over 450 snaps in the box slot and at free safety over the past two years, and only one of those five produced a 70-plus grade at all three and it was Xavier McKinney. So regardless of the alignment or the role that they gave him or put him in, he was performing at a really high level um, at all of those. And he did it against the run. He did it as a pass rusher and he did it in coverage. So I think that's a steal of a pick that the giants got. I feel like they essentially replaced Landon Collins. Um, the tape that I did see on him, it looked like he played an amazing sort of center field um, he was good hands catching the ball. Um, and once he did catch it on the interceptions that I saw, he looked really dangerous uh, in the open field as far as getting long returns off those. Um, so I feel like this is a hell of a pick for the Giants. Um, is there anything that I didn't ask you about the Giants that you think we should talk about or I didn't bring up at all? Oh no, I think you got everything. I mean, they're trying to build their offensive line. They took two tackles in the first three rounds. So um trying to make sure that they build up um a strong foundation for Daniel Jones and Saquon Barkley to work with. Um I think they could have benefited from giving another weapon to Daniel Jones and a wide receiver. Um, however, Xavier McKinney, I mean, that's my that's my favorite pick for them. Like you said, he can do a lot of different things. Um, those stats that you just read off, his where he lines up on the field is very impressive because safeties in the league are transitioning more towards playing in the box, playing in the slot, um, and he, he does that. But what stands out to me is how well he can play single high as well, um, the range that he has. He's comparable a little bit to Kayvon Wallace, who the Eagles picked. Obviously, he's a better prospect than Wallace, but um, Wallace, you can't he can do – a lot of what McKinney does, he can play in the box, he can cover those intermediate routes. 
However, I wouldn't trust him in the NFL as a single high safety. McKinney, I would definitely trust him. So the fact that he can play six, five, six different positions um, on defense is very impressive to me. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see this coming season and next season how defenses start to shift more towards the speed game because we've seen the past couple seasons a lot of the explosive offenses and the Chiefs who just won the Super Bowl have been winning with speed. And so the defenses now I feel like are starting to kind of realize this and they're starting to realize, okay, instead of putting all these 250-pound linebackers on the field, we need to put more safeties and corners on the field who can be more quick and agile. And these players that are like Swiss army knives or super utility guys that can line up at all these different positions are going to be super valuable. And we saw the Rams are doing the same thing. They took Terrell Burgess, who essentially was kind of in the McKinney mold where he was playing in the box. He was playing at uh, safety in the back, um, playing linebacker, even lining up on the defensive line. So these guys that you can kind of plug and play, I feel like are going to be, the new age NFL defense of, you know, speed and the hybrid sort of players. So it's going to be really interesting to see how this kind of plays out. Um, certainly feel like this pick is going to be a, a, a hit for the giants and they might be ahead of the curve with um, picking him and, and using him in all the different ways that they can. Um, so what we're going to do just to kind of finish off here is I wanted to get some, you know, predictions from you guys. So essentially who do you think is going to be the best player in the NFC East from an offensive standpoint? Who do you think is going to be the best defensive player? Um, and who do you think is going to be the best head coach? Um, and whether you want to view that as who's going to have the most wins or who do you think is going to get the most talent out of their roster? I'll leave that, you know, up to you guys. And then we'll do kind of a predictions with how many wins we think the teams are going to get. Um, obviously this is all super preliminary and it's all really early, but it'll be interesting to see when we go back and see how correct we are because um, predictions can always be really fun that way. Um, so I'll go to you first, Matt. Um, who do you think is going to be the best offensive player in the NFC East this coming season? Um, this is tricky because there's a lot of good players. Um, if I'm, I'm going to try to not pick a quarterback and pick the easy answers. So, I'm going to go with it's going to be a, a Duke a Duke out between uh, Miles Sanders and Ezekiel Elliott. I think Sanders is going to really progress as a lead back finally and not have to be behind Jordan Howard for half a year. And Ezekiel, Elliott, you already know what you're getting out of him. But I think he might take a step back because of um, the all the good wide receivers that the Cowboys have. So I think this is Miles Sanders year to prove himself in the league. I think he's going to blow people away. Nice. Okay, Manny, who do you got? Who do you think is going to be the best offensive player from the NFC East? No, I mean, I, I kind of have to go with Matt here. It's kind of hard to pinpoint when you look at the offensive firepower that's in the NFC East. But um, I'm going to probably say it's between two players, but not at the running back position, wide receiver, um, wide receiver spot. I'm going to go with C.D. Lamb and Terry McLaurin. Wow, you went with a rookie with one of your picks. Okay. I did. There was just some – listen, I wanted Lamb very, very badly. Um, <laughs> I understand that the speed wasn't there. That's not what the Eagles were looking for. But I've seen this man just outperform other guys in the Big 12. I do understand it's a passing league. It's a shotgun league. But when you got a wide receiver that can run 80 yards down the field, that can catch a pass for five yards and turn it up 80 yards down the field, that to me – 
you know, that's when I'm sold. And I've seen Terry McLaurin as well. Um, he torched the Eagles last year countless times. Obviously, the offensive line wasn't great for Washington. Neither was the running game. A uh, new head coach coming in. I'm pretty sure Ron Rivera um, has a plan in for Haskins to make sure that Terry, that Terry um, there is definitely a big piece um, in that skin's offense heading towards this season. Okay. Well, he apparently is coming in with a lot of confidence and belief in himself, and he's certainly putting a target on his back quite literally because he's coming in and he's wearing number 88, which for the Dallas Cowboys, number 88 for a wide receiver, um, you're expected to be great. Uh, Drew Pearson wore it. Uh, Michael Irvin wore it. And Des Bryant wore it. So now CD Lamb's wearing 88. So he's put a literal target on his back. So he's putting a lot of expectations on himself. So it'll be interesting to see what they do. Um, Aaron, who do you think is going to be the best offensive player from the NFC East? Yeah, this is kind of tough. I, I had two players in mind as well, but they were both running backs. Yeah, so Ezekiel Elliott was my initial thought. Um, but judging by the, the offensive power the Cowboys have, I think that might limit his uh, – his stats this season. So I got to stick with Saquon Barkley. I mean, this guy is the Giants offense. Uh, If he can stay healthy, he's a phenomenal player. And I feel like he could most certainly be the best offensive player in the NFC East. Saquon Barkley, yeah. Well, you stole my thunder, buddy. But uh, my pick is also Saquon Barkley, which is probably – I feel like the safest pick, um, maybe it's not, but I guess in my head it's the safest pick. No he is coming off. Sanders, Nick. No respect. <laughs> no, I guess not, but I'll explain why. So in 2019. Rookie season. No, that's just, you know, that's nothing. Yeah, yeah. So the reason I, I feel this way is because in 2019, obviously, he was hampered by injuries. Um, so we really didn't get to see 100% full Saquon Barkley. But in 2018, um, when we got to see him, I wouldn't even say at his peak because he was a rookie and the Giants offensive line was terrible. And this was when Eli Manning was the starter uh, in 16 games. He rushed 261 times for 1300 yards. It's a five yard per carry average. He had 11 touchdowns. He had a long of 78 lost zero fumbles. And also on the receiving end, he had 91 catches, 91 catches as a running back. 721 yards, four touchdowns, and again, no fumbles lost. So he is an absolute weapon. So it'll be interesting to see this season, like we already said, the new head coach, Daniel Jones, is going to be the guy all season. It'll be interesting to see what happens, but I feel like Saquon Barkley is going to be the man as far as offensive productivity. And if you're going to be playing fantasy football, he's going to be one of those guys that you're going to want to snatch up really quick. Uh, so now we'll go ahead and go to best defensive player from the East. And I'll go to you first, Matt, who do you think is going to be the best defensive player from the NFC East this season? I'm going to go with rookie chase young, just because he's just a beast. I mean, you can't say enough good things about him. There's barely any holes in his game. I think he's going to transition to the NFL very well. Um, He already has a very good frame to be an NFL player. And I think just um, he can immediately step in and start dominating some offensive tackles. So uh, he has a strength. He has the power. He has a speed. I think he's going to be up there um, competing for the lead in sacks league wide. And uh, I think he's going to be the best one out of the East. 
Wow, we've got a couple of rookies making appearances on this list. I like it. Um, Manny, who do you think is going to be the best defensive player from the NFC East this season? I'm going to go with Xavier McKinney. He's going to fill in a spot there from Collins in the uh, New York Giants uh, secondary there. And uh, I'm, listen, I'm, we've all seen tape on him. Um, hit the way he covers the field is just amazing. His, 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 you know, his five second speed of reaction is just, you know, it's just incredible. So, um, I want to say Kayvon Wallace, but you know, I'm not trying to be a homer here. I'm just trying to see it straight up. And Matt, you know, he made a great point. Um, you know, nothing against Kayvon Wallace, but you know, Xavier McKinney's just right now at this point, he's just a different type of breed. Um, you know, so I'm going to have to go with him. All right, rookies are getting a lot of shine right now on this podcast. Uh, we should go into sports agent business. Uh, Aaron, <laughs> who's going to be your pick for the best defensive player for the NFC East this season? Wow, so I went with the rookie too. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah, wow. I agree with Matt. I think it's young. Uh, I mean, if he can if he can transition into the NFL and be that impact player like a Nick Bosa was last season, I mean, uh, I think he could he could run away with a defensive player here in the, the NFC East. So um, I think he has a lot of potential, and uh, I'm curious to see what he's going to do. But, yeah, I, I'm picking Chase Young, rookie, but I think he's going to be a stud. Okay. Uh, I didn't pick a rookie. Uh, the guy I did pick, though, is only 24 years old, so he's a very young guy. Uh, I actually went with Jalen Smith from the Cowboys. Uh, he's a linebacker. So the reason I went with him is just because um, he seems to be getting better and better every season. He, This past season, I felt like, was just kind of a glimpse of what I think he's capable of. Um, he started all 16 games, had an interception, uh, had nine passes defensed, two forced fumbles, two and a half sacks, had 142 combined tackles, 83 solo tackles, six tackles for a loss. So I feel like this next season is going to be the one where we're like, oh my God, the Cowboys hit a home run by drafting Jalen Smith. Because um, if you remember, right, he had the really bad knee injury when he was coming out and there was a lot of questions about whether the Cowboys should even draft him, if, whether anyone should even draft him but they took a chance on him and it looks like it's going to pay off. So I have my eye on him. I feel like he's going to turn the corner and um, be a phenomenal player. Um, next one, I'm going to ask you guys, give me your best head coach. And like I said, whether you think that's going to be the guy that gets the most wins or just the guy that gets the most talent out of his people. Um, Matt, who do you think is going to be the best head coach this coming season out of the East? It's going to be Super Bowl champion Doug Peterson. He's a a proven head coach. Um, All three other head coaches are going to be entering their first year with their respective teams. So Peterson's going to be in the driver's seat, in my opinion. Okay, Manny, um, I don't think you're going to surprise me here. Who do you got? (laughs) No, you know what? I want to say Doug Peterson as well, but – I'm just going to go with the impact that I think that Ron Rivera, he's going to create in Washington. I mean, this is a team that normally goes for that offensive guy as their head coach. And for once in a long time, they're going with a guy that likes structure, likes hardworking players, and he gets the most out of them. Um, So listen, I do, you know, I do think the Redskins um, this upcoming season will probably have maybe three, four wins, but you're going to see it just like the Miami Dolphins. The effort will be there. The tenacious teamwork will be there. 
Um, so, you know, it's very easy for me to say Doug Peterson, Matt, trust me. You know, I, I'm going to say the same thing as you when it comes to this question, but, you know, we're doing a podcast, so I kind of have to think outside the box, and I truly think that Ron Rivera, he's going to install that Redskins once culture that they once had, um, you know, for this dying fan base that, that's been trying to um, have something to be happy about, and I truly feel like Ron Rivera is that guy. Okay, Aaron, who do you think is going to be the best head coach in the East? All right, I'm uh, I'm going with Mike McCarthy, uh, and I mean primarily he kind right. of he got kind of lucky uh, with Jason Garrett's departure, and he's uh, jumping in here with, um, you know, with the Cowboys team that has I think, like I stated earlier, the best offense in the league potentially, and uh, and I think they got a little better improvement on defense. Um, we got Ha Ha Clinton Dix and. You know, I got a couple of rookies here at the corner position. Jaden Smith stepping up. Sean Lee can stay healthy. Uh, I feel like their defense could improve. I'm, I'm not expecting a big jump, but I think if Mike McCarthy can make this offense uh, jive better than Jason Garrett did and get this defense to kind of mold together and you know keep, them from, keep teams from scoring 30 points a game because I think their offense is going to score 30 points a game. I feel like the Cowboys and Mike McCarthy could easily uh, run away with that. Nick, may I just say or add to what Aaron is saying? When he's saying Cowboys coach Mike McCarthy, he really means Cowboys coach Jerry Jones. That's what he actually means. Because we all know the Cowboys surround Jerry Jones, whether it's GM or coach. Right? Am I... Well, I think I would definitely say yes, especially when it came to Jason Garrett. There definitely seemed like there were times where Jason Garrett was just on the sidelines to clap and put on a headset. Um, I feel like with Mike McCarthy, he wouldn't have taken the job if Jerry Jones didn't give him more control. Um I, I don't feel like Mike McCarthy's the kind of guy that would come in just to kind of be a figurehead or like a puppet. So we'll see. Um, it certainly is going to be interesting to watch. Um, and if you compare the situations that Mike McCarthy walked into this season and like what Brian Flores walked into last season, polar opposites, Mike McCarthy's coming into a stacked roster for the most part. Um, so the expectations, especially from Cowboys fans, are going to be we expect you to win, win now. We expect you to make the playoffs um, and probably win in the playoffs. So um, it, it's going to be interesting to see. Um, me personally, uh, obviously, Doug Peterson's got a Super Bowl uh, under his belt. I, I'm not going to, especially since we've already had uh, Doug Peterson selected a couple times here. So I'm just going to be a contrarian and say, uh, Ron Rivera. I've been a Ron Rivera fan for many years. I feel like he's one of those guys that just kind of commands respect in a locker room. I feel like he knows his players well. I feel like he puts his players in positions to succeed. So I'm going to go ahead and say that, you know, the Redskins probably make a decent turnaround this coming season. And I feel like Ron Rivera is going to be one of the biggest reasons for that. Um, our last prediction that we're going to do is final division standings. So I'll let you go ahead and tell me, you know, one, two, three, four, how you think it's going to pan out. If you want to give me wins and losses, by all means you can, if you just want to go one, two, three, four, that's cool too. So Matt, I'll go ahead and go to you first. How do you think the division is going to shake out at the end of the season? I think like what we've seen in the past couple of years, it's going to be 
um, Eagles and Cowboys at the top competing for those top two spots, then the Giants and the Redskins at the bottom. Uh, there's going to be a pretty big gap between the two of them. I think the Eagles and the Cowboys are going to be around that 10 to 12 win um, range right there. I think the Eagles, in my opinion, have the edge because they're just more well-rounded. The Cowboys might have better weapons on offense, but the Eagles have a better defense overall and probably a better offensive line now. So they're more well-rounded and better. Um, Obviously they have a um, head coach that's been there for a while. They're not getting a new head coach. So I think they have the edge right there. And then the Giants and the Redskins, they're probably around that four to six, maybe four to seven win range. And I think the Giants have the edge of the Redskins right now, just because uh, like the Eagles, they're just more well-rounded. The Redskins, like I said, they have that great defensive line, but that's about it. The Giants have a little bit more weapons and a little bit better defense than the Redskins overall. All right, Manny, what do you think? Um, I'm going to pick the Eagles to win the division, obviously, um, followed by the Cowboys, followed by the Redskins, and followed by the Giants. Um, Quick question, guys. I kind of forgot. Is the new playoff format um, getting instituted this season or next season? This season. Yeah, I was going to say it should be this coming season. You know, Matt, remember back in the days when three NFC East teams always made the playoffs here and there? (laughs) I'm telling you, there's something about Ron Rivera. He has a quarterback that's been there already. He has to put a stamp on his defense. He got his pass rushers. Don't be surprised if the Redskins are not that final wildcard team to get in somehow. All right. Aaron, what do you got? All right. I'm not a Cowgirls. I'm not a Cowboys fan. But I'm picking the Cowboys to be yeah, the it had to happen. In this it had to happen at some point. Wow. In this division, Aaron, it only took you an hour and thirty minutes of the podcast to say it right. <laughs> All right, so I'm predicting the Cowboys to get 12 wins this year. I think their offense is just too damn good, or too darn good. And uh, the Eagles, I pick as number two with 10 wins. And then this was tough for me between the Giants and Redskins, but I gave the edge to the Giants just based off of Saquon Barkley being so good. Uh, I'm predicting the Giants to get five wins and the Redskins to get four wins. So Cowboys one, Eagles two, Giants three, Redskins four. That is my prediction. All right. That's going to upset a couple of people, at least on this podcast. Uh, so, so for me, I think this is the Eagles division to lose. I feel like they win uh, the Cowboys. Again, they just have so much talent. I feel like it's hard for them to not at least come in second. So I'm going to say they'll finish second. Um, I do believe the Ron Rivera impact and hiring is going to have some immediate dividends and payoff. I feel like the Redskins are going to finish ahead of the Giants. I think they can win six games this coming season. I don't know against who. I don't know how. I just have enough faith in Ron Rivera and the team to think that they could at least get six wins, um, especially the with their new infusion. Six times? <laughs> uh, I don't know. Manny, do they play the Dolphins six times in 2020? Not. Okay, so like I said, I don't know how they're going to get six wins, and they haven't even released the schedule yet. I guess once they release the schedule, I'll get better a better idea, but I just feel like the talent that they have, uh, if Dwayne Haskins can kind of turn the corner, Chase Young appears to be phenomenal. So I just feel like at some point they're going to hit their stride and they can win six games. And the Giants, I feel like they're going to finish somewhere in the four or five win range. 
Um, I feel like they just still have a lot of holes. Um, and Joe Judge hasn't really proven that he can be an NFL head coach yet. So we don't know what we're going to get from him. Um, so that's how I see it kind of shaking out. So we'll see. Um, I think by and large, the – well, I don't know. I guess I'll ask you guys instead of me just throwing out my opinion. Um, Matt, I'll ask you. Do you think the NFC East is the overall – excuse me, weakest division in the NFC? I'm so sorry, Nick. It, it, it seems like we're having some some technical stuff there with um, Matt. Um, so I guess, may I answer for him or, or do you want to yeah, ask Yeah, go ahead, me? Manny. <laughs> um, I'm sorry. What was the question? Because I'm here trying to talk to Messi what's going on here with, with his connection. Oh, yeah. So I'm just curious. Do you think the NFC East is the weakest division in the NFC? Well, the weakest, I wouldn't say it's the weakest. Um, I know last year a lot of um, fans made fun of it because it took, what, like a 500 team to actually, you know, win it. Um, I don't think it'll yeah. be. Um, so I think when you say weakest, I look more towards the AFC East as being the weakest. Tom Brady now leaves. Um, basically, you don't know who the quarterback will be in New England. You're well, if we're talking strictly just NFC, do you think in the NFC, the East NFC? would be the weakest? Let me see. NFC North, eh. NFC West. Be I gotta think the NFC and South. It's, it's gotta be the NFC oh, South. No, I mean, but Tom Brady the Bay. I mean, New Orleans is gonna. Can you guys hear me? Like New Orleans is hey, Matt. Yeah, you Matt, you're back. Welcome back. <laughs> Sorry about that, Matt. I don't know what happened there. Nick, please ask Matt the question again. Sure. Uh, before I threw my opinion out there, I wanted to ask you guys just to get a general feel. Um, I feel like from what I've been hearing and seeing, the general consensus is the NFC East is the weakest of the divisions in the NFC. So I wanted to get your opinion on that. I guess he still can't hear us. Damn it. <laughs> well, like I was saying, I think the I NFC know. South... The NFC South is going to be the weakest. Um, you got the Atlanta Falcons, Carolina Panthers, Saints, and Buccaneers. I think the Saints are going to run away with it. Uh, I think Carolina Panthers with the new head coach are going to struggle a little bit. Atlanta, um, I don't I don't have high expectations for them. And Tampa Bay, I know everybody's big with Tom Brady, Rob Gronkowski. Everybody's going to Tampa Bay. Uh, Evans there. I don't think Tampa Bay is going to. I feel like when I look at the top two teams between the NFC East and NFC South, I'm looking at NFC East, you got the Cowboys and you got the Eagles. NFC South, you got the Saints and you got maybe the Buccaneers. I think NFC East is probably the second weakest with the NFC South. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. It's going to be interesting. I feel like the toughest division and no one is really saying it every, but I feel like the toughest division is the NFC West just because yes. there's so many good teams in the West, but we'll see how it plays out. Um, Matt, are you there? Okay. Awesome. Um, before we wrap up, um, I want to give you one more chance to kind of tell us a little bit about birds banter, where we can find you on Twitter, all that good stuff. Yeah, definitely. Thank you. So, um, the, I'm the host of the Birds Banter podcast. Like I said, I've been doing it for about a year and a half now. Um, it can be found on Twitter at Birds Banter, Instagram at Birds Banter PHL. Um, doing podcasts pretty much every week. This week I've been pretty busy doing stuff almost every single day, trying to get analysis out on every single draft pick. So 
Um, staying busy with a lot of content. So if you guys listening are Eagles fans, make sure to check it out. I would definitely appreciate it. Um, like they said at the beginning, I'm in, a, in affiliation with PHL Eagles Nation, which is similar to Rams Nation, um, just in a different city covering a different team. But uh, obviously doing um, the similar work. And um, again, thanks for having me on. Yeah, no problem, man. We really appreciate you coming on. I'm sure sometime in the future we'll we'll do it again sometime. Um, and I, you know, with the season coming up, I'm sure other storylines will come across, and we'll try and do some mm-hmm. hits here and there. So um, before we wrap up, uh, Manny, did you have anything you wanted to add? No, um, only that. Hey, Matt, we can't thank you once again for um, being able to join us and to uh, look at the NFC East. Um, you know. That's, you know, like, like, you know, the, like a certain host here who, who currently right now, he's unable to hear you, but now he is. Um, he still thinks that the Cowboys will win the division. I still, I don't think that's the case, but uh, we shall see. Yeah, definitely. It was my pleasure. Um, definitely appreciate the opportunity. All right, guys. Thanks for listening. We appreciate it as always. Uh, Thanks for supporting us and listening, and we'll look forward to putting out more quality content for you here soon. Thanks, guys. Take care.